0: And welcome in, everybody, to the Landry Football Podcast. It is Thursday, February 4th. We appreciate you joining us as uh, we kick this off every Thursday, the Landry Football Podcast. Um, Part of the Radio Influence Group. Want to remind folks that you can catch this podcast live on Twitch TV. You can go to LandryFootball.com, and you can get uh, the show right there. Um, click on it. It says follow Chris on Twitch. Just click on it right there, and that'll take you right to it. Um, so you can watch the show live. You can watch it on YouTube, Facebook, and certainly uh, listen it, to it. You can find it on LandryFootball.com. Uh, you can also um, find it wherever you get your podcasts. But we're really appreciative of the great folks that um the, the great job that the folks at Radio Influence does. We've got uh, going to be a lot of Super Bowl focus today is the big game is in play we're gonna kind of tackle it from every aspect and kind of take a look at uh the game um, I want to remind you that to get even more detail in the breakdown of the game check out landryfootball.com I've got an X is an O view point I've got a pathway the victory for the chiefs the pathway the victory for the Bucks. what what needs to happen what Are the advantages that uh, each team may have in the process, who maybe are some unsung heroes, and then uh, still working on the final finish product of the preview. But we'll give you a little bit of how we think the game will play out. I'll I'll certainly talk a little bit about that today, but a little bit more depth and a little bit more uh, information is going to be there. Check out LandryFootball.com. Obviously, it's the last game, of the season. So, um, we do that uh, obviously a lot during the season. We break down the games, the, the before the game, after the game, why it happened. We've got that for you. We also have all the latest information, uh, with, uh, the NFL draft free agency. We've got you covered through this entire scouting season, business season of football, certainly in college football, wrapping up signing day, um, yesterday and the signing class, I would say, uh, because with the major signing today being in December, we will, um, kind of wrap up the, the whole recruiting cycle for this year. And then already into 2021, we've got that for you. It's, it's one-stop shopping football. If it's recruiting, if it's analyzing college football rosters and teams and coaches, uh, analyzing, uh, players in the draft, analyzing, NFL free agency, uh, the teams in the NFL, we got it all covered for you. So, um, what's happening, uh, in the transfer portal, uh, in college, what's happening, the coaching search world. Now that most of it's done, but a lot of assistant work, one stop shopping football, no need to go anywhere else. We've got the information before anyone else. We've got the most credentialed information, uh, no disrespect to writers who do a an outstanding job covering the game. We are the game. We are the ones that are involved in the process of evaluating, uh, not from an amateur standpoint, not for a website, but we're taking you with my background as an NFL scout and coach and taking you inside the work that I do for NFL teams and college programs as we break down the game and uh, in whether it's coaching searches, whether it's evaluating of players uh, that's what we do. And that's what we provide for you here. It's like having your own scouting department for less than a magazine subscription. So take advantage of it today. Um, we always invite you to participate in this show. Um, appreciate Kev, um, Belago joining us. Um, any questions, comments, we certainly, uh, will address them here as we go along. Um, a couple of things that I will mention quickly before we get into the Super Bowl preview. A lot of talk. Um, signing day yesterday. A lot of talked about rankings and all of that. Where a class ranks. I don't say it's not important. If you look at the teams that are ranked the highest, they're the teams that are usually in the playoffs. Well, there's a reason for that. Remember that these rankings of the players... Done by websites are done basically with information from the coaches that are recruiting. So they're basically taking information and repackaging it and putting it there. So the definition of a highly rated recruit is one in which the top tier programs are recruiting. Um, it's not that they're skilled in evaluating the players, but rather gathering the information. Said player is being recruited by Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, really hard. Georgia, you know, the usual suspects. going to be graded higher than someone and and if he's not rated higher, will be moved up based upon that fact. Somebody that's been recruited by mid-level G5 schools not going to be recruited as high. Well, there's, there's a chicken-egg thing. It's not so much that they're evaluating the players. They're evaluating who's recruiting them and therefore assigning a grade. The rankings of classes can be misleading in this regard. How many players have you signed? How many scholarships do you have available? If you're an elite program like in Alabama, Alabama's got the best class ever. Well, whether they are or not is not going to be determined today. It's going to be determined down the road and it's going to be determined based upon, you know, the production and how those guys developed. It doesn't really matter. All you can do is at the moment, grade how good it is. Well, here's what we know. We know that they had a great class. Um, and it had a lot of them, 27 that they brought in. Well, common sense says that if you've got 19 or 20 in this class because they didn't – let's say they didn't have as many scholarships, the ranking wouldn't be as high, yet the quality of the players would be just as good. It's just they don't have as many spots on the roster because maybe certain guys were coming back or they didn't have as large of a senior class or what have you. So keep that in mind that if you look at the classes, um, it's, it's fine to go ahead and rank them just for fun, but understand that there's a lot more that goes into the ranking. Here's the other thing. The five-star, four-star, three-star moniker is a just that, a moniker. It is not how you evaluate players. I've said all along and I've been a part of how we put together rankings and how to evaluate. Um, that's too broad to say a guy is a five-star are four star. That's like saying a guy's a first rounder or a second rounder. There's no such thing. That's not how college pro no college program grades their players as five stars or four stars. None. It's all done just from a fan and media standpoint. You grade a player on certain tiers. So you grade them from a standpoint um into categories. So like in and. and Look, I, I put this up on Landry Football, and I encourage you to study it because this is what I have put together for college programs to help them in the ability to evaluate players better and separate. There's a lot more separation, and I guess what I'm saying is there's not a standard. These, If you got 25 players with five-star grades on some list, that's not – accurate because you're going to have varying differences of opinions as to whether all of those guys are five stars and maybe some of them will be graded as low as three stars. Some of them will be graded as four stars and some will be graded four stars. The four star guys would graded as five stars. So there's no such thing as, well, this guy's a five star and he's the best and he fits for everybody. That's not accurate. How a guy fits what you're looking for in a different skill set and critical factors is huge. So I give on LandryFootball.com a criteria of how you evaluate players in the critical factors at each position, but that's modified a little bit as it relates to what is the biggest priority in your system, and your scheme, what you run, and those things are really, really important. Even at a place like Alabama, where how they evaluated, for example, safeties in the past when Nick Saban first got there at Alabama versus how they do it. Now it's completely different. The critical factors have changed. Why? The game has changed. It's a passing game. It's less substitution. You require more of the safeties that are corner-like in coverage as opposed to linebacker-like against the run. And so being able to do those things are really important. So understanding that's key. And yet there's, there's again, some of the four star five, there's like a big drop off in people's perception, 25 star and a four star, a four star and a three star. And there's a lot of blending of three stars that are really more four stars, four stars that are really more three stars, four stars that some are five star. And and, and there's a very, very big misunderstanding, but it's very simple. When you look at the gathering of information to, to, to come up with an idea of who the players are, how I do it, I don't have time to look at 5000 guys. I'll look at 500 guys and I will see guys that are clearly better than they've been graded and some that are clearly not as good as they've been graded. It does not mean to diminish or to disrespect the player or anything, but understanding that you know certain players, these guys, these guys would be great fits in this system. Not as good in that system. So there's no standard. All of these are five stars. Some guys would fit in any system, anytime, anywhere. And that's why the production level, once they get into college, is quite a bit different. It is no different than in the NFL. Even though the process is different, the same thing applies. A linebacker that's going to be a top linebacker for New England is going to be completely different than what Seattle's board looks like. Okay. And they're not wrong, but they're looking for different things. And what they ask their guys to do are different. I don't think enough of that's understood. So uh, with that said, the usual suspects had good classes because we kind of know that they recruit well. We know that the talent of the players are very good. So want to get that in mind. So keep that in mind as we go forward and uh, you evaluate all right get into the Super Bowls but I hear you out there um Kevin says Chris I need to know two things Kansas City's offense jet sweep type of plays two Kansas City quick lateral passes to wide receivers are these plays going to yield explosive plays against the box defense um it's a great point and it's going to get into some of my topic I'll answer it this way. So, one of the things that's being talked about is a big Bucks advantage is the Chiefs' tackles. Chiefs' offensive tackles, Mike Rummers, we're going to talk about, he's going to be playing at left tackle as uh, Fisher's out. But the thing that you do if the Bucs bring a lot of blitz pressure, which they'll bring quite a bit is they'll dump the ball off quickly, and they have all those great playmakers in space. So the screen game, well, let's start pre-snap. So the motion, the illusion of jet sweeps, the threat of it kind of gets you spread out and get you a little bit more paid attention defensively pre-snap to setting the edge and protecting that. It limits maybe how much pressure you bring. So that's a way to alleviate pressure if you're deficient at tackle in the game, which relative to what they normally are with Schwartz and Fisher, more substantial. So what this does, it prevents a lot of the drop back game uh, stuff where you go deep. Now what they're going to have to do is slow down the pass rush by making them adjust to the eye candy, make them come up and defend the jet sweeps at the edge and make sure that they're tackling well in space. And so the ball's going to have to come out quick and then, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll handle football off against, you know, soft boxes, six man boxes, that's going to slow down the pass rush scheme because you don't want to get caught where you don't have enough guys and you're not in a position to set the edge. So again in a lot of sweeps you're going to set the edge, you're not as concerned about coming up field, right? So if you're a pure dropback team and you got a stationary quarterback, you're in trouble. In other words, the bucks would be if the reverse were true, the bucks would be really in trouble with if their left tackles were out, their left t- both tackles were out because they got a pocket quarterback that's not mobile. And you limit your ability to go downfield with the Chiefs, the Chiefs will go deep, they'll go short, they'll dump off, they'll roll out, and they got a quarterback that can do that. So it's gonna be less of an issue for them. Um absolutely depends on how the Bucks play it. I think the Bucs will show pressure, I think they'll show pressure and back off some. Uh the key to to having success against the Chiefs offense is to get good base pressure, <clears throat> pardon me, and hit the quarterback, hit Mahomes. But you also have to combine that with press coverage off the line of scrimmage. So you you have to do both. If you do one of the two, it's not good enough. You're dead. It's over. You've got to do both. All right you got to jam Kelsey off the line of scrimmage. You can't give him a free release. You have to roll coverage and I think bracket Tyreek Hill. So, and, and you've got to be careful. You may try to slow him down at the line of scrimmage, but you've got somebody at the top. And then obviously that guy comes in, sets the edge, and then you've got roll coverage behind it. Because with his quickness off the line of scrimmage, if you miss the jam, then he's free then the ball can come out quick and make some huge plays. No quick. And you can go vertical because the ball can go faster deep, right? Because he's so explosive downfield. So it's a, it's a different element and a different thing. And they've got so many. So as you focus your coverage to those guys, I think you look at guys like McCole Hardeman, Sammy Watkins, becoming really you know big factors uh in the game. I think that uh you can see Demetrius Robinson, you know, potentially being a guy that would have, you know, uh more success than normal. Because Clyde Edward Jalair, who we're very familiar with, the backs out of the backfield that you dump it off. Lot of options there for them. There's there's no question about that. Um a lot of weapons. So those are absolutely things to keep, uh, to keep in. What are your general thoughts on when, if ever using blue shirts and gray shirts to push scholarships forward in recruiting? Seems like, uh, seems new coaches take over and often have low numbers initial scholarships. Here's the thing to keep in mind, pushing guys back into the next semester class is something you do based upon a two-year cycle of recruiting and how you see certain positional needs match up with the quality of players that are available to you currently versus down the road. And so you tend to try to mitigate where some of the 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 pockets of weakness, let's call it, on your roster could be. The other thing is the transfer portal. So people are leaving a lot of scholarships. It has a lot to do with roster management. All recruiting is is a way to build your roster just like the draft is. Uh, it's not the only way, but it's the most important way. But bringing in free agents in college that have experience to fill gaps, early experience, it's it's probably affected junior college recruiting more than any because junior college recruiting, while still valuable, I you know most guys would rather go and get someone who is a proven experienced college guy that maybe has two years left that can come in and help you. Maybe even somebody you have a relationship with due to the high school recruiting process. So all of that's factored in. Which team this year were the the, um, the closest of almost holding off the Chiefs? Um, well, the, the Raiders did a nice job, but really it was more about the Chiefs. Um, I mean, you saw the Saints have a little bit of success defensively. The bottom line is... No one has really come close to stopping him when they're playing with all their weapons, when they are playing well. Um, we'll get to it, but the Bucks didn't play pretty well. Also, which defensive backs have you seen go um, step for step with Tyreek Hill? Because I think of Jonathan Jones from the Patriots who can keep up with Hill. Uh, no one can keep up with Tyreek one-on-one. No one. No one has. No one's really come close. Others, maybe are worse than others. No one can do it one-on-one. The only way you do it is if, again, you'll force the ball out quickly by getting good base pressure, and you do a good job of jamming guys off the line of scrimmage. So it never. It's not that he can't get open, but the timing of when the ball has to come out doesn't mesh with him getting open. Uh but no one, if you can't get pressure and you give time, this this guy's one on one is not guardable um for very long. Just put it that way. Um do you think because of the pressure, Mahomes legs and rushing yards may be a big deck? Absolutely. Always a big factor. Um You, you've got the ability to run. You've got the ability to extend. You've got the ability to run to run, run to run, run for yardage, pick up first down, you know, keep a drive alive, keep a play alive. He can do all those things very well. Aaron Shank. We appreciate Aaron joining us. Hi, Chris. What are your thoughts on the base Seattle cover three defense? Do you see it spreading more throughout the league and come here? cover threes. Aaron's been around a while. Uh, this team, the bucks play it a lot. Um, uh, you know a lot of people play it it's it's it, you know it the philosophy's been there and it um I, you know growing I mean it's it's already grown it's just a matter of how you play it being able to pattern match underneath and having the personnel to run it schemes are great schemes are like uh seasoning to a meal it, it, it makes the meal better um but it's the ingredient that, that you got to start with. You got to have the talent to run it. So, I mean, ingredients, the salt and pepper and the seasoning on nothing doesn't taste very well, but you can make that thing. You can flavor it up quite a bit. So I think it's really good. What it allows you some ability to do. If you can pattern match very well and have guys that can cover and come up and be physical, it allows you to keep a lot of plays in front of you. If you do it effectively. Uh, thoughts and prayers for Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah. Uh, known Marty, uh, Marty has been battling Alzheimer's for some time and Marty is uh, in hospice care right now. So to Brian, um, and I, gosh, I forget the daughter's name. I apologize, but to Pat, um, thinking about Marty and all of you right now, do you think, Tony Finn, appreciate you, Tony, joining us. Uh, do you think the Browns will give Baker a long-term contract, and do you think they should? Also, what was your evaluation? Tommy Vardell coming out of college. Thanks. Love the show. Appreciate it. Uh, well, I was there when we drafted Tommy Vardell. I wasn't thrilled with it. It tells you, though, Tony, how much the game has changed. A running fullback is what he was. Um, look, that was um, my first year with Bill. And the two guys Bill loved a lot that year was Vardell and Derek Brown. I don't know if you remember Derek Brown played tight end at Notre Dame. I wasn't thrilled with either one. Um, you know, I like Corey um, I like Dale Carter. Those guys went before him. I like Steve Entman. Steve Entment didn't play as well as I thought. Steve Entment was the big defensive tackle from Washington. Um, but I wasn't really thrilled with Tommy Vardell um, with the pick, but kind of young and my voice wasn't as strong as it came to be later in that. Um, Baker, um, I like a lot of things that Baker Mayfield does. I think the key with him is not the plays that he makes, but the plays that he doesn't make. If he can continue to me be more proficient with decision-making. I think he's worthy of keeping around. You've got to know a little bit more. What's the best scheme to defend this RPO heavy offensive today? Um, Not scheme as much as the personnel. Um, So when you're defending RPOs, in the NFL, the RPO game has become successful. They call it a little tighter in the NFL in terms of they'll call downfield blocking more than in college. They don't do it hardly at all. So the, the premise of it is that you've got to defend the run with seven. You've got to keep maximum guys in coverage if they throw it. And you've got to be able to defend the run got to defend the run first and foremost. It's the easiest way to be successful offensively, and it's the easiest way to just die on the vine defensively. Can't stop the run. You have no chance because, you know, at least throwing it, there's a chance you may throw it off. You may drop it, but you know, Unless you're putting the ball to the ground, fumbling it all at a, at a ridiculous rate, running the football is the easiest thing to do and be successful if, if you defensively can't stop it. So defending the run without putting extra numbers in the box, if you have to cheat a little bit, then that's where you get out of position. It is very difficult, and it's why the game has changed so much. It's because of the rules. It's because of allowing it. And it's if you're going to have that and you're going to call it that way, well, you absolutely need to take advantage of it Why wouldn't you? And you need to need to get you more of that. Um, You know, Rich asked the narrative about Brady Belichick, who's more important? Look, here's the thing. There is no more important. Uh, There's no such thing. You'll win and lose as a team. Uh, Brady without Belichick would not have been as successful and Belichick without Brady would not have been as successful. The narrative this year is that, well, Brady's clearly more important. Well, players, I I would put players a little bit of notch above, you know, because I'm going to tell you this, I'm a much better, was a much better coach when I had better players. So yeah, it's, it is about players, but I've seen a lot of good players get under coached and. You don't see teams achieve as well and put it all together. It's a great conversation piece in football. It's not even a discussion because if you don't have good team chemistry, if you don't build a good culture, if you don't get guys playing smart, you don't have versatility in what you do. You don't have adjustability, and you don't have the ability to match what your opponent's going to do in a week in week out basis. You have no chance. You don't have a, a quarterback that is good, you have no chance of winning. You eliminate your chance of winning big. If you have one and you don't have a good team around him, you will not win either. It's why maybe some really good quarterbacks that are Hall of Fame caliber, you say they only quote-unquote have one title or they maybe never won one. Why? Well, the team around them wasn't good enough. Let's take Patrick Mahomes. You think he's pretty important to the Chiefs? Ha. I'd say so. You think Andy Reid is a better coach with Patrick Mahomes than Donovan McNabb? I'd say he did a pretty good job with Donovan McNabb. But you know what's better at Kansas City? I mean, Andy certainly has grown as a coach. But you know what? He, a lot of the things that he likes to draw into and a lot of things that he's capable of doing that creatively was he was able to do can do it a lot better when you got Patrick Mahomes and you got Tyreek Hill, and you got Travis Kelsey, and you got Sammy Watkins, you got McCall Hardiman, you got Clyde edwards helaire You get me? Can do a lot more things. Things in the film room and things on the grease board work better when you have players that can absolutely get it done. Um. McNabb was a really good quarterback. They got to Super Bowl with him, but they certainly didn't have the talent around him. Now, is McNabb Patrick Mahomes? No, but you know, look at what he got out of him. So, I think we saw in some cases him do some things in Philadelphia that were really, really good, but are now next level with Kansas City. So. You know, with Brady, he had, for the most part, good defenses. And then Belichick opened up the offense. He said, defensive coach, you're not going to do this. He opened up the offense and let Brady kind of take it and run with it. He always, That offensive line was always well coached. Great for Brady. Brady's gone into a team with a lot of talent, a lot of weapons, a good young offensive line, and the defense that's pretty good. You take Tom Brady and you put them on the Detroit Lions with Matt Patricia this past year, maybe it's good enough to save Matt's job, but they still don't make the playoffs. Without Brady, and you bring in Cam Newton, Cam Newton had some success early, had COVID, not been healthy. It was awful quarterback play. Well, all the surrounding parts of Cam Newton didn't work. So I, I let people go into that. I, I'd say that um, that that you would always give a little bit of a nod. It's it's. Um, I think you've got more coaches that can be successful than elite players. So I think that's where the most important part of it, but I don't think it is. If James Winston turned out to be the same starter, can he be significantly better than he was in Tampa? Significantly better, I'm not sure. Maybe a little bit. How does Belichick bring the Patriots back to the playoffs in the 2021 season with the increase of competition? Uh, fix the quarterback. Let's start there because I think they're a team that could would have contend for the playoffs with adequate quarterback play. All right, Let's get into some, some discussions. I've got a piece on Landry football that will take you a little bit more into the X's and O's of the game. But I want to get into it. Uh, the Chiefs the run game with the Chiefs, they um, throw it over 60% of the time, actually 63% of the time on early downs in what we call score-neutral situations, one-possession games, what have you. In the first meeting, the Chiefs passed even more than usual, six over 69% of the time when these two teams met. Uh, We'll get into a little bit more why. Last week, uh, against the last game against the Bills, Darrell Williams carried 13 times for 52 yards. Clyde Edwards-Alaire returned from an injury, but he manages seven yards on six carries. The first meeting between the two, Clyde Edwards-Alaire ran 11 times for about 40 yards, and Le'Veon Bell had five uh, carries for 22 yards. The Chiefs are a heavy run-pass option team. What we just kind of discussed, meaning Reeds calls more runs than the, the final box scores show. So people will often talk about that play. Why'd you run it there? Well, they didn't call a run. When you call a run P- RPO, you're not calling a run, you're not calling a pass. You're calling a play that is designed based upon how the defense reacts to it, could be a run or a pass. Mahomes has the option to pull the ball and pass. And when he has that option, more often than not, he does it. Even when the correct read calls for him to hand the ball off, he still sometimes throws it because he likes and sees something better. He has the freedom to do it. He has the freedom to create because here's the thing. When plays go off schedule, oops, there's a pre-snap mistake. There's a post-snap mistakes, he can run around and they've got the receivers are well aware that they continue to run their routes and they can take a bad play and make it a good one. In week 12, the Chiefs gash the Bucks defense with RPOs. Um, and he made some tweaks and gave the Bucks fits. Uh, in the history of bye weeks in the NFL, No coach has a better record nor better success with a bye week to prepare than Andy Reid. And, of course, the Super Bowl has a bye week. Not always. I've actually coached in the Super Bowl with not two weeks. You know, I've I've coached a couple times with two weeks, but then coached it with we played the very next week. Which would be the uh, Titan Super Bowl in Atlanta against the Rams. The Chiefs um, usually run their their wheel route slash slide RPO from twelve personnel, one backs, two tight ends. Um, the run concept is a zone read, zone read, where you take the the backside in uh, um, is left blocked for Mahomes to read, and uh, if the play. If the end plays the back, Mahomes has the option to keep the ball. He needs to throw it to the tight end, running the wheel route, or the tight end running the slide route from the other side of the formation. seems the wheel route is the only option based on the pre-snap read. If the defender is responsible for the real wild, real real, (whistles) coffee's not setting in. If the defender responsible for the wheel if he's too far outside the box or he's playing too far back, the the wheel might not really be part of the progression. So in this case, he'll slide to keep the ball, and then he has the option to run the ball if both routes are covered. It gives a little bit more time for it to develop. So we're talking a little different concepts. There's going to be so much comparison with Mahomes, the young gun against Brady, the old gun. There are two different types and styles of quarterbacks that uh, I think need to be appreciated and understood. In um, the Chiefs ran the concept with eleven personnel, um, with Tyreek motioning from the other side. The motion allows Hill to get you know full speed, and as the ball's being snapped. And Mahomes could see that the Bucks were in press coverage and then no one reacted to the motion before the snap. Then he pulled the ball back from the running back's belly and he quickly made the throw to Hill without resetting his feet. Not many can do that. He can do it accurately. Again, part of the you, you know things that you can do with Mahomes that you can call that because you can create that extra option on which in other personnel situations, well, you would not do it because the the purpose of resetting the feet is going to allow you to get the ball there accurately, but it requires a little bit more time, and we're talking split seconds here, and those are split seconds between being able a guy getting being open versus it closing down. So. The Bucs are going to need to be better prepared for the Chiefs' RPO. So that's going to be on Tide Bowls to have a better game plan. But here's the thing. Kansas City not going to be running. They're going to be running a lot of stuff with similar looks, but doing a lot of different things with it. So when it comes to the Chiefs' traditional run game, um, they're not going to pound the ball. They don't pound the ball. The running game is an option that they have particularly with all the soft boxes they see with the people focusing on coverage, it creates a lot of space, which is why they're not looking for power backs. They're not looking for guys that are gonna power through the line. they're looking for guys that're gonna make people b- miss and run by them and explode by them. They don't run a lot of power. I don't need a lot of power. you don't have that. I mean, you know, a lot of what they do is 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 again the backs are a running threat. Out of the backfield, running threat after the catch, running threat in space. Chiefs ranked thirteenth in, in rushing. While the, the Bucks defense first against the run. But they're not facing a traditional run team. So when you look at those numbers, don't get intoxicated by that. Two non- traditional runs that the Bucks need to be ready for are the Mahomes scrambles. And I think the toes healing better. So the run threat in, in this game and, and, you know, throw it out the door, you're doing it. And then the jet sweeps, which Kev, that you asked about that? You did, you did. And we talked about, we respond to your question. So you are clairvoyant in that, my friend, um, that's what I think we're going to see a little bit more, at least, to jerk with the Bucks a little bit. Um, Mahomes is really good on scrambles during the regular season. He had twenty-eight rushing yards in that first meeting. I think it was twenty-eight thirty in that area. So they're always a threat to hand the ball off on jet sweeps. You know, if you remember, it was McCall Hardeman had that 50-ish yard run in the FC championship game. The Bucs have really speedy linebackers, and the defend, the wide receiver runs very well. They allowed just 64, 65 yards on 21 carries on those plays this year. But I think they're going to show a lot of it. Not to try to test them, to get them spread out, and then attack them as they try to get spread out, they'll attack them in the middle. So I think it'll be by design that they'll show it. How much they run it, don't know. The passing game of the Chiefs. Um, I thought, breaking down the tape, that Mahomes was outstanding with his ball placement against the Bills. I thought he did a good job with making what I call second reaction plays, you know, keeping his eyes and feeling the pressure. I thought he did a good job of diagnosing different pressure pre-snap to know when the ball needs to come out. He won with his arms, he won with his legs, and I thought he did a really good job. I thought it was the most proficient offensive performance of the year. Um, Their top three offensive Offensive performances this year with the Chiefs playoffs. I mean, uh, the uh, two of them. I mean, you know, the the, the playoff games. That was um, the last two years. This year, last year, been outstanding. The Bucks um, defensively. Um, you got to start with how do you defend Hill? in Kelsey. Kate Starts there. Okay. So when they get down in their meeting, well, they've had, they've got into when they've started their meetings, that's the, the main focus. You start from there and then you figure out the rest. When Mahomes targeted Hill or or Kelsey in the first two meetings, it was 21 to 23, 350 yards. Todd Bowles had Tampa and man coverage on just nine of the 53 plays. Okay. Roughly 17% of the time. Uh, it wasn't that the Bucs played a lot of man coverage. It was just that Mahomes burned them because he was like six for nine, seven for nine for 115 yards when they were in man. When Tampa lines up in press coverage in the Super Bowl, the chances they'll mix in a heavy dose of what we call cover seven which is too deep, man, match coverage that can allow the bracket Hill and Kelsey. So, if I were to guess, if I were to guess when I break down the Super Bowl tape on film, I would guess that the Bucks will probably line up in more cover seven than any other coverage. Now, again, it it depends on certain things and how the Chiefs go ahead and and play it, but too deep, man-match with brackets on Hill and Kelsey. Sean Murphy-Bunting bracketed Devontae Adams with a lot of outside leverage in there much of the first meeting with the Packers, and then with Jordan Whitehead was over the top with inside leverage. Uh, They bracket uh, Adams consistently throughout the game and limited him to nine catches, which is not bad for the production that that guy had all year. Now, the Bucs played press coverage without any help on the Packers' other receivers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling beat Colton Davis over the top uh, a little bit. Valdez-Scantling could not beat the physical coverage, the press coverage different set of circumstances, a different skill set for these Chiefs receivers, how well will the Bucs be able to do that? Again, how much pressure can you put on a quarterback while physically challenging them off the line of scrimmage? you got to do both because if you put pressure on them, the ball can come out quick, right? Well, if you don't have tight coverage, you don't jam them, you don't reroute them, they will beat you with the run after catch, or that's going to be their plan. They're going to get it out quickly. If the ball's got to come out quickly and there's nowhere to go with it, that's when the pressure works. Uh, I know, like, for example, last week, you had Hill in the slot with a corner outside and a safety over the top. And on Kelsey's side, uh, we saw the Bills press with the corner and had safety help playing a deep zone over the top. So the first read was Kelsey. but. I think it was Siran. Neal was able to squat and be physical because he knew he had deep help. So Mahomes quickly peaked that Hill before moving to Brian Pringle. Byron Pringle, who had one-on-one. That's a guy that himself can beat you one-on-one. Mahomes quickly got into his final read on the play, and he threw a strike to Pringle, which created a little separation on the curl route on the backside. If the Bucks focus on taking away Hill and Kelsey, it's easier said than done, but that's, you got to do it. How do we slow them down? That's the quickest step. Okay. The chiefs are going to need their other pass catchers to step up. Watkins had a quiet year, calf injury, sideline him. How much of a factor is he going to be? I will see a lot of too deep, talk about cover seven, a lot of too deep looks. Tampa played some form of too deep on 31 of Mahomes' 53 pass plays in the first matchup. The numbers suggest that that's the right strategy against Kansas City. Folks, we can talk about strategy. strategies, how you execute that strategy against all this talent. On the season, Mahomes crushed single high coverage. So we talked about cover three, example, somebody else, but single high Cover three, not real good. He crushes that more than any. So, um, two deep coverages are effective, again, if you can combine it with good pressure and jam off the line of scrimmage. Uh, everyone's saying, well, what's the kryptonite for Mahomes? There's really not a whole lot other than what I just said. You've got to hit him, and you got to take away his outlets. Uh, against two deep coverage last week, he was 11 for 13, 104 yards against two deep looks. In the first game against the Bucks. against two deep, he was 23 for 28 for 216 yards. Uh, if Mahomes is on, he's going to destroy any coverage. So you can't play anything consistent. You've got to mix it up, and you got to be really good with it. The pass rush better be on. It better be on. It better get pressure, and you better get them off the line of scrimmage before they get open in the outlet. So um, I thought the Chiefs had some protection issues, even with Fisher in the game, but Mahomes can make a lot of mistakes. The four-man pass rush by comparison of the Bucks, is better than the Bills. But the key is to be disciplined in your rush lanes. Don't go after him and chase him. What you want to do is get good pressure, and you've got to stay in your lanes and hit him so that you prevent any escape routes, because if you've got escape routes, you may win on the pass rush, but you lose on the play. Uh, I know, like for example, uh, there was some times in the Bills game where Mahomes will fake a toss in hopes of pulling the underneath defender, the and it opened up space. Well, when you fake a toss and you can get outside. Now you get hill on a crossing route. Well, you you've now beaten zone coverage. You don't want to play a lot of man here because you can't defend these guys man to man, and you certainly can't defend the crossing route. So you play zone, but when you have a little bit of a delay and you get a little bit of a um, false pursuit, where you get out of position very easily, and you know there were there were times. I mean, there were plays where the protection was beaten, but with a little play extension by a fake toss and design, they buy time. And then you've got, if you don't stay disciplined in your rush lanes, Mahomes can buy time athletically. So you're going to have some of that, the, 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 so, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a big key, um, Mahomes makes a lot of plays routine that are that are not real difficult. All of five's Tampa Sacks last week came on a four man rush. So I really would not advise a lot of extra pressure. Maybe some sim pressure, but not I wouldn't send more or not. That's just you're you're asking for a big play. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers was not sacked. In fact, In within four seconds of the snap, Aaron Rodgers was just sacked six times this season in 17 games. He was sacked four times against the Bucks. Bowles likes to blitz. He wants to blitz. He's gonna blitz. Blitz at your own risk. It'll get home at times. It may work, may get some hits. Well, boy, you better get there. You better get there quickly, and you better be prepared behind it. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, then you got Sue and Via against a banged-up offensive line. That's going to be the plan. We may not be able to play coverage well enough. We're going to get home with pressure. Mahomes, how does he do against the Blitz? The best in the league at it. So I think you're going to see pressure, but I think it's about when you pressure, how you pressure. Um, on the other side, some things I want to look for, um, the Bucks' run game. They're not the chiefs, but they like to throw it. And if you think they're just going to run the football, run the football, Bruce will use the run to set up the big play. He wants to go deep. Um, the Bucks' run game is very simplistic in design. They mix in some counters against the Packers, but they've got two-base runs of the inside zone and the duo. That's that's what they run. And they've run it pretty effectively down the stretch. On the duo, the receiver is usually responsible for blocking the extra defender in the box. So the box, the Bucks will typically line up a slot receiver like Chris Godwin next to the line of scrimmage or motion him inside to do his job so he gets a better angle. Jones reads the Mike linebacker, which happens to be in most cases, this week's going to be Daniel Sorensen, the safety he lines up as the Mike a lot. Sorensen is really good at covering underneath, but he is one of the best at fitting the run in the a gap. And Chris Jones, um, you know, is, is really talented. Ali Marpet had some real good success against him in the first meeting. So, um, the biggest impact for the Bucs running game will have could be high leverage short yardage situation. The Bucks have been pretty good in converted short yardage runs. So you want to really help your defense out, Tampa. You know, you, you get yourself in third and shorts. You convert, you limit possessions, which is what you like to do against Kansas City if you can. I mean, anytime the Chiefs have the ball on offense, if you're playing them, I mean, it's like you're holding your breath. So, yeah, ball control is something that people like. However, the Chiefs can store quick. They can go on long drives. The Chiefs can erase a huge deficit, 17 points in a hurry, and they can take a 17-point lead and give it up. I mean, they do it all. So, But the formula is best um, is that the passing game. Steve Spagnuolo has had a really good job against Tom Brady in his Super Bowl backgrounds. Um, I know that this Bucks team has gotten better and better as years going along and it's a lot better than it was when they played the Chiefs the first time Brady's going to have to be so on point here. I don't think the Bucks have a chance to win this unless Brady's great and he I think is going to have to be the best quarterback on the field Sunday. I, I And we're not talking about who's the best of all time, who's accomplished more. That's Brady. That doesn't matter in this game. What matters is that he plays the best in this game. Um, Spagnolo likes to bring pressure. Um, against pressure, against the blitz, Brady struggled this year. More than most years. Um, and I think you're going to see some of that mixed in. So Jones and Fournette are going to have to be really on point with their blitz pickup. Fournette whiffed a couple of times against the Packers that led to that fourth quarter interception. Okay. Uh, that happens, you know, it's curtains. It's going to have to be a really clean game for the Bucks on both sides. Um, Bucks had play action called. Brady checked to the protection. They were in seven-man protection sliding to the right. The right guard center and left guard and left tackle were responsible for the four defenders inside the two defensive tackles and the two linebackers. The right tackle was responsible for the end, and Fournette was, was responsible for the nickel, who blitzed. He didn't pick it up. There you go. You know, it's not always a sack. It's an interception, a pickoff. off Jair Alexander usually picked it off. So they're going to bring a lot of pressure to try to create that confusion to create that, you know, all right, look, let's, let's try to challenge Jones and Fournette, see if they pick it up and, you know, they want to go deep and they want to, well, we're going, we're going to limit that. Um, Gronk was a big factor in the first game caught six balls, you know, on seven targets. Um, they went to him on a screen for a big play last week. Um, uh, Brashawn Breeland matched up one on one with Evans in the first meeting. Brady was zero for three in that game when targeting Evans against Breeland. So uh, I think that the Bucs are going to try to get Evans a more favorable matchup here, and I think you'll see Kansas City use more bracket uh, to double Godwin. Um, it's an unpredictable defense that Spagnolo runs. Um, they run a lot. Of, they run a ton of different schemes, and they execute very, very well. They flustered Josh Allen, uh, especially in the red zone, different, more difficult to f- fluster Tom Brady. He'll recognize it, but recognize it, calling it, as I said, the backs, the receivers have to side adjust the backs have to pick up. You can call it if they don't pick it up, you know, it's a weakest link situation. Um, man, yeah, no problem with blaming Brady for the picks and what have you. The mistakes, doesn't matter you know if you throw three picks not all of them on the quarterback it's not that well Brady didn't play well well the bottom line is there were picks and why were they picks again you break it down it was things around him and some of it was Brady communicated it it wasn't executed well and some of it may not have been a good throw There, there are reasons why you have mistakes they're mistakes and you can determine that when you break down the tape to see why those mistakes were made. And you're going to try to bring some of that, too. Um, So I think it's going to be a real interesting matchup here. Um, It's going to be a challenge to see, uh, to try to figure out how to create problems. It's, again, not about outsmarting Brady as much as it's about um, seeing how you can outsmart the rest of what they're doing to create opportunities. How's this game going to go? Look, I think if if Kansas City plays their best game, it has a chance to get out of hand. I mean, I think Kansas City's decidedly better. In studying Kansas City on tape, they just they look like at a different level. The tackle issue, the offensive tackle issues, are an issue. It kind of maybe mitigates some of the advantages. My opinion, probably not enough to affect the outcome of the game, but maybe make it a little bit more interesting, closer, longer, and a way for the Bucks to maybe take advantage, and we'll see with extra time how much Andy and Eric Biennemi can overcome that. The other issue I would say is Brady has to be the best quarterback in the game Sunday. They're going to have to be super proficient in the red zone. They're going to have to win the turnover margin. They can't turn it over, and they're probably going to need to force a couple of turnovers. Um, if both teams play their best, it's a decided Kansas City win. If Kansas City's off their game, and the Bucks play great, it's it's more interesting. Um, but I think in in Look, the Bucks can win it, but it's going to require the Chiefs to contribute greatly into losing it. I don't think the Bucs can go. So here's how it's going to have to play out. Uh, it's going to play out in a situation where you are having to um, match points with Kansas City, which is tough, but you're going to have to probably do that. You have to come up. Just dynamite in the red zone. You're gonna have to get seven, not settle for threes. And then you're gonna have to get the Chiefs and lulls, which you can do. The Chiefs kind of go for stretches in which they're lulls. Just, you know, like I said, they're up 17 and they turn around, they're up three. They're down seventeen, boom. Now they're down three. So, you know, they can score quick, they can take a long time to score. They've got a lot of weapons, and defensively, they're they're underrated. They play good situational defense. They mix things up. They bring good pressure. You're going to have to score points, um, but I think it certainly helps you. If you can be really proficient scoring points, take big play opportunities when you can, but be able to convert, stay on the field, and maybe have sustained drives. Because any way that you can limit the offensive possession of the Chiefs, the better you are. You force a turnover, you get them, your offense off the field. Get their offense off the field. You convert third downs, long drives, finish with touchdowns, create an opportunity. Um, just I don't, I don't really see a scenario where the Bucs will win the game. I think the scenario would be the Chiefs would struggle in certain areas and the Bucs would take advantage. Um, so we'll see. I hope it's a good game. I hope it's really close. Should be a lot of fun before we get out here. Some quick questions here. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, do you think the chiefs will hold up with the tackles being out? We went over that Jeffrey. Hope you got that. Uh, who do you think wins? I got the chiefs. Yeah, I got the chiefs potentially. We couldn't Matt LaFleur over. Overrule Petten on the end of the first half, touchdown to, Yes, he certainly could have. What was your scouting evaluation to Sean Jackson out of Cal? Uh, was an elite corner and return guy And Jimmy Hitchcock out of North Carolina. Jimmy was very, very good, little sticky defender, very physical. Um, so enjoy the big game. Uh, know it's a lot of fun. I hope it's a good fourth quarter game with a lot of, a lot of intriguing things. A couple of things I'll leave you with. If the Bucks play some man coverage, look for a lot of the rub routes and the motion that creates the separation. Um, but check out the breakdown in more detail at Landry Football. We'll have all the the X's and O aspect to this game in a little bit more detail that gives you more what to look for and what um, I think makes the game a little bit more fun to understand and watch as we go. So we appreciate Aaron and Rich and. And uh, Zach, I love I love all the my, the loyalty of the guys that are with us every day. I love you. I I really do love you. And I love getting more people involved. I see. Um, I I, I apologize. I I get these names wrong. Zach, Ivy Bing. I don't know Jeff uh, Parrot. But thank you for joining. I hey, good friend Brett Saint Germain. I uh, appreciate him. Woodshed King, Spartan Barton, Jig's Dad. Uh, Tony Finn, uh, a new name. Uh, so Aaron and Tony Finn and Hey, join us again. Don't be a stranger, bring your thoughts and questions. And I know the other guys will love having you. It's where we're growing it. We've, we are trying to grow the channel as well. More shows. In fact, we've got the ACC show coming up right now. And then Chuck Oliver right after that. So we're growing. We appreciate you joining. Um, uh, you know, enjoy the game. We'll be back to break it down next week and check out everything over at LandryFootball.com for all the latest. Take care, everybody. Talk soon. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, and even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com live.